You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Audition side job swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. How's it going, everyone? Rory O'Malley here, host of Living the Dream. I hope you all had a really good week. I did. I uh, was able to see my husband last weekend, which was really great. We are doing the long distance thing. Uh, he is a real person, and I'm an actor. And so two years ago, after we got married, I moved him to Los Angeles because I had a TV show that didn't last very long, as it turns out. And he got a really good job in a normal person office and so when Hamilton came along um, he stayed there and I have been here on my own in New York City back in the city that we lived in for almost 10 years five of them together Um, so it's been it's been kind of crazy it's the only bad part of being in Hamilton in this entire experience is that I only get to see my husband like maybe every two to three weeks on average but sometimes it stretches out longer than that um it it, it had been five weeks since i saw him uh so it's crazy it's one of the one of the other things about this business that is such a challenge that you can't plan long term where work is going to come from and where to live and you know, I, I, I talk about it a lot on this show with other people about being with, um, having a partner who is not in the business or having a partner who is in the business and the pros and the cons of that. And, you know, I certainly benefit from being with someone who's not in the business, so they're not wrapped up in it mentally the way I am, but also someone who appreciates TV, film, and especially Broadway and Luckily, we both saw Hamilton off-Broadway at the public and knew how special and wonderful it was. And he's been more supportive of me doing this than I've been. So maybe he just wants to get me out of the house. Um, But yeah, I had a really nice visit with him. And, you know, we make the most of the time that we get to have here, which is not that much, about 36 hours. And I'm doing three shows in those 36 hours but he came to see the show again and we had a really really good visit um it was great and then the story of like how we got to this place is a crazy one um 
and kind of has a lot to do with why I started this podcast in the first place. Um, bear with me for a second because it's a bit of a long story, but I think that it will explain why I'm doing this and why I'm having these conversations with other people in the business. So cut to back in the beginning of January 2016, the beginning of the year. I was sitting at a Starbucks with Josh Gad, my buddy who lives down the street from me in Los Angeles, and we were just hanging out, and I was talking with him about maybe producing a show in LA and doing another uh, uh, one-man show that I, I was, was looking forward to doing, and all of a sudden I get this email from my agent saying that I had an offer to do a Broadway show called Nerds. The musical uh, to play Bill Gates, a musical about Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, and uh, it started in a month, like four weeks from that the day I was sitting there with Josh, and I literally looked up to Josh and I said, "I think I just got a prank email. Like this can't be real." It was a Friday afternoon. I was like, "What? how is this possible that I'm just getting an email saying, oh, here's a lead in a Broadway show that starts in in a, in a few weeks? And lo and behold, it turns out it was, it was real. And I read the material, and I thought it was so much fun, and found out who was going to be a part of it, and realized that it was going to be a great opportunity. So I went to New York. My husband and I decided that it was, you know, a good risk to take to go out there and see what happens. And um, I was gonna, you know, commit to like six months of doing it, and we'll, and you know, we could we could take those six months and um, and deal with that with him staying in L.A. and me going out to New York. So I go out to New York. We rehearse the show for three weeks, and three weeks into rehearsals, the lead producer walks into the rehearsal in the middle of the day <laughs> we're rehearsing the last number literally singing live your dreams oh hi lead producer what are you doing here and he said everyone needs to go home an investor has dropped out we will not be opening on broadway this season and it was so shocking and everyone in the room went completely silent it was it was like someone walked into a room and announced that someone had died and that sounds really dramatic and of course it's just a job it's not something that is a person but it certainly represents the dreams and aspirations of so many people in that room the writers the director the folks who were making their broadway debuts and it was one of the most sad, tragic things uh, to be a part of and to witness um, that I'd ever experienced. And you really, you know, I've been in this business long enough to think that I had seen it all. But that was, <laughs> that was a new one. Um, but luckily, the people in that room, the performers and the creative team were beautiful wonderful people and the director our director Casey Hushin who is so fantastic she said I think we owe it to ourselves 
to come back tomorrow and do a run-through of the entire show that we've learned over the last three weeks. And everybody invite a friend, and we'll do it for ourselves. And then we can have some closure. And I think we all were a little skeptical at first if we could even do it emotionally, to be honest. But we realized she was right. It was the, the right thing to do. So we all gathered back the next day at our like 10 a.m. in the rehearsal room. We went over songs and steps that we weren't sure of, which was crazy. You know, we were, we were like, why are we <laughs> rehearsing something for this presentation that's literally the last time we're going to perform it? And also the first time in front of in front of people, friends and family. But it's because we wanted to respect the work that we had put into it and the work that so many had put into it for so long. Um, and we performed the show for the rehearsal room full of, of friends and family. And it was one of the most beautiful, sad, happy, tragic, theatrical experiences I've ever had in my life. And it certainly taught me a lesson that you need to pick yourself up and do the right thing artistically sometimes and that will lead you to the right emotional response and the right thing to do as an artist that that day was to perform for our friends and family what we had worked on um so you know i I can't say that any of us who were in that room or involved and especially the people who put years of their lives into that piece that they feel good about it even now you know I'm probably gonna talk to some of them over a period of time on on this podcast about how they're doing and and how they kind of coped with that but I thought I should probably bring it up because that was certainly um one of the reasons that I I had already started having these conversations but when that happened it only became more evident to me that this was a something that I needed to share with people and that we needed to share our experience. And so many people reached out to me when that happened from the community uh, over over email, phone, people I don't even know that well over Twitter and social media, people in the business who were heartbroken that anyone would have to go through what our cast and and creative team and designers had to go through. And it really made me feel like I was a part of a community and just in the way that when someone dies that you realize how how important your family is and um, how you come together. Then, of course, I went flew back home to Los Angeles to be with my husband and basically said, all right, baby, get me pregnant. (laughs) That's what the universe is saying now. Um, But... Two days later, my agent called and said, Rory, I know what just happened was really emotional, but would you consider going back to Broadway? And I said, oh, you know, I'm just still so heartbroken. I'm not sure if I could could take it. Um, I'd have to really think about it. 
And she said, well, what if it was for the king in Hamilton? And I said, I'm at LAX. I'm on the red eye. <laughs> and she said, well, what about your husband? I said, he'll understand. I'll text him when I get there. Uh, let's go. <laughs> um, it was crazy. It was totally insane that two days later after I got back from L.A. that this opportunity presented itself. And uh, I think it's a really good lesson. It's also a really bad lesson because so many times in this business, something really horrible has happened to me or I don't get a job or, or an audition or, a, an, or an opportunity that I feel so devastated about. But then something else comes along and I realized why I wasn't supposed to get that other thing. But that thing doesn't come along sometimes for a year, for two years. It can take months and months. It can take a decade of realizing that you were on the right path the entire time, which we all are, by the way. Um, it's just, it's hard to have any kind of proof of that so quickly. So this Hamilton experience has been crazy to have the juxtaposition of of nerds and then that happening. And for so many other people who I went through that nerds experience, they have been having those moments of wonderful things happening after and reasons why it was supposed to happen and learning things. And, and some of them are still on that journey of finding out why, you know, that was, that was supposed to happen. But... Um, what I can say is that you don't go through this business without having both extremes of having a show collapse one day and the next day having uh, your dream come true and being a part of something really amazing. Um, this is a really crazy example, but it's what this business is. Um, and it turns out that one of the major reasons that that happened to me is that the casting director, Bethany Knox, who I who I will forever be grateful to, she was the casting director for Nerds. She came to our run-through that day that we did in the rehearsal studio, and I didn't even realize at the time that she is also the casting director for Hamilton, and that when she was there through that run-through, she thought, hey, Rory could really pull off the king and Jonathan is going off to do something else now so maybe this is meant to be so you never know this business is so crazy and to be honest you love I'm so grateful that the the wonderful amazing thing of Hamilton happened but I would much prefer more prefer the uh, even keeled nature of other businesses sometimes you know like I love I love the highs I hate the lows and um, it, it's it's been such a crazy year uh, emotionally and on top of that to be away from my husband for what we realized was going to be a much longer period of time with Hamilton um, but that's not complaining I'm just trying to be honest with with you about what my journey has been um, this year and and why I feel m more drawn drawn more than ever to having conversations with other performers and other people in this business about 
the reality and the uh, heartbreak and and wonderful joyous nature of of this business because I think there's two sides to it and like I said when when I started this podcast social media really just gives the one side but I like to have longer conversations about the realities and you know and I love this business I really really do I wouldn't be doing it if I I wouldn't be putting up with what I put up with if I didn't know that there were so many wonderful opportunities and and uh Hamilton certainly is one of those opportunities and I've been so happy every single day walking into the Richard Rogers. So yeah, that's the story. Um and if you didn't fast forward through it, you know, congrats. That's amazing. Um my guest today is Amy Linden, a very good friend of mine. I met her through my husband. They went to college together at IU. They are singing Hoosiers. Um, Amy is one to, one of the most talented people I, I know in the city. And her voice is so exquisite. She is she's just amazing. She sang at our wedding. And uh, I can't listen to the recording of her singing at our wedding without breaking into tears. It's actually impossible for me. But Amy's at a really exciting time in her career. She just did the national tour of Bridges of Madison County, uh, written by her hero, Jason Robert Brown. So she uh, she was there, uh, there as a part of the ensemble and understudied Carolyn and um, was amazing in, in the show. And I love getting to talk with her about her experience. I loved getting to speak with her about getting the call about the show that she got the job and the fact that she was at her restaurant working <laughs> when that happened. It's uh, it's poetic and beautiful and amazing and we all have those kinds of stories. Uh, so I, I think it's a really cool thing to get to speak with her as she begins her, what I'm sure will be a really amazing career in this business. So here is my conversation with Amy Linden. Hi, Amy Linden. Hi, Lori. Um, I'm so glad that I get to talk with you in my house in Los Angeles here where you are our tenant, my husband and I tenant, while you were working on mm -hmm. Bridges of Madison County. And this is your second stop mm -hmm. on the national tour. Um, how's it been going? Great. It doesn't feel like a tour yet. Yeah. <laughs> Because we've been here for so long, and we were in Des Moines before where we opened, so it, it almost felt like a Des Moines Tech and then an L.A. run, which is what it's been. But, um, yeah, we're leaving um, this coming Monday and uh, off to Texas, and then we get into our two weeks and one week stops, and it's, it's going to feel much more like we're on the road. Right. Whereas right now I feel like I live here, which <laughs> is awesome because I've never lived in L.A., but, um, yeah. and it's, it's amazing to be here with a project. With something to do, yeah, something to, yeah, absolutely. Instead of just hanging out in LA, which can, you, you know, there's not a lot to do if you don't know where to go, mm -hmm. or have a purpose. Yeah, so that's been fantastic. That's good. So, this job though is a really big deal to you for a lot of reasons. I think, you know, I mean, um, 
where you are in your career is just like a really big deal, but also who wrote it. Um, yeah. So can you just kind of talk about what this job means to you? And you know, you just, you, you just started this tour. It just went into rehearsals this fall. So yeah. like this is really new. This is really fresh. And I just want you to talk about that. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Well, the show itself, um, I'm just incredibly lucky that these all, these pieces all fell into place um, with this project. Um, because, you know, I grew up, uh, with Jason Robert Brown's music in my life, I was introduced to it like when I was 15 or 16 years old and it just, it completely changed me. Um, not only because the writing really spoke to me um, and I felt like it was something I'd never heard in musical theater before, but I was, I had also been a piano player since I was really young. I started lessons at, I think, six and got really bored around 12. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, I begged my mom to let me stop. And um, she said, well, you can quit lessons, but you have to keep playing the piano. And I was like, oh, yeah, I can do that. So I started bringing home, uh, you know, sheet music from choir of songs that I really liked and um, spent the next two years kind of teaching myself how to sight read because I wanted to play more and I wanted to play better. Did your mom keep you on a regimen? No, I just, I just, just wanted to. Was like, okay, yeah, and every now and then I'd get really fixated on a song from choir and my choir teacher would let me play it in the concert with the group. So I was still playing and I wasn't interested in pursuing piano classically. Right. Um, That's how I got to the uh, first chair in trombone. <laughs> that every I didn't I could not play well and I didn't uh, I, I just I was not very good but every time we had a test it was always like the Phantom of the Opera or like some musical I'm like oh that. I know this one <laughs> you know like I came out of the womb playing this on the trombone yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I mean yeah. that's what makes you you love the, what you're creating and that yeah. makes you want to play it more. Exactly. And when I got to college and I was a music major and I realized, wow, all these kids who grew up obsessed with opera have a way huge head start right. <laughs> on the Jew who likes musical theater, who right. did not obsess over opera or go to church. So right. because that's when you study music theory, you have to go all the way back, all the way back there. But, um, right. you know, and then so I was kind of like plunking around with whatever I was playing at the time. I got really into like, you know, Jekyll and Hyde. I thought, you know, the emotions that Frank Wildhorn was writing was really like dramatic and great to play on the piano. And I was, that was kind of working for me. And, um, but then I was introduced to Jason's music. Um, and a couple months later, I got a hold of the score for Songs for a New World. And then I was playing piano four hours a day, like, couldn't couldn't play enough. I was obsessed. It just really connected me to the instrument in a way that I never had before. And then I really started my proficiency skyrocketed and I was, you know, working with kids in musical directing, you know, five shows a year. Just I just wanted to and I became one of the people in my community that was a go to for musical theater piano. Um, and also was able to maintain my status as an actor at the same time because it was still you know the community i grew up in and you know it wasn't a co that much of a competitive environment that there wasn't millions of things to do at any given month of the year so i was super busy and i was it was super great mm -hmm. um and then you know when i got to new york just on you know per on a personal note with that it's you know i learned in that process that 
it's really hard to stand up from the piano once you sit down and once people know that you can do that. And I also wasn't good enough that I felt compelled to uh, sit down at the piano in New York. I really wanted to pursue a career as an actress and not, I didn't really tell anyone that I could play. Really? Um, yeah. And people found out super, super slowly, but I still really, I don't have a piano in my apartment, so I'm pretty rusty, but, um, you know, one day I'll get one back and I'll play for hours and hours again. But, um, yeah, I mean, I've done a lot of vocal coaching too, and I play for myself. I've never needed, um, anyone to, I've never asked anyone to hire an accompanist. I'd rather kind of do that myself. Um, so that's kind of when I get my exercise on the, on the piano or on the keyboards, but, um, but yeah, that's always been a part of my life. And he just, I mean, exploded that for me, right. really. And just continued to obsess over his music. And um, seen, well, I, I saw Parade in Cleveland, which is how this all happened. But I saw uh, 13 on Broadway like three or four times. I right. saw Honeymoon in Vegas. And I saw Bridges. I saw Bridges the night that they announced the closing. And oh, wow. yeah, and I just cried through half the show anyway. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. started was, crying. I saw it after the, the closing announcement and it really was one of the most overwhelming uh, theatrical experiences of my life because everyone in that room mm -hmm. was like really, really dedicated to the music, Jason Robert Brown mm -hmm. and the production. And it was just like everyone knew like every minute of this being on stage was special because it has right you know expiration date you know which is what i think is so great about this tour is that to see this show live again so well and be done so yeah so beautifully is really exciting yeah it's it's a company that i just i can't overstate how proud i am to be a part of and um jason has been conducting us um in iowa and here he's going to be hopping off um but he'll be back near the end of the run for another city so i mean I've worked with a lot of composers over the years, and it's just, I mean, having that direct lifeline to the person right. who created it is just absolutely invaluable. Every right. every time, no matter what the level of success of the composer, anytime you can work with the person who created the thing, right. it's, well, it's, it's that also, much more special. And it's also, for all of you, it's like he's, he's a legend, you know? So yeah. it, it really steps up everyone's game. You know, like everyone's giving their absolute best at, at every moment, mm -hmm. you know, not just when the audience arrives because they know that they're in the presence of not just the person who created that great piece of art, but so many great mm -hmm. pieces of art that yeah. you we grew up with or that were inspired us to stay in the business basically yeah. because if, you know, there's a standard of, of, of quality that his shows and his music has given that's raised the bar for every everything yeah. in this business. And it really it, it really came, you know, last night actually here in LA, we uh, presented a concert at uh, Rockwell stage of his music and he thank you. He wasn't there. He had another event. We put this together on our own and chose uh, to present his music. Um, when we were we were approached by uh, Katie Pizakis who puts together this series called Broadway Bar at Rockwell. Um, she likes to feature all the touring casts and kind right. of give them a night to, to show off their stuff, which for us was amazing because um, other than, you know, the main couple of people in the show, a lot of us feel like <laughs> we needed to dust off the chords a little bit because right. um, the music that we add to the show is 
community in nature and um, other than our understudy work it's a little bit um, you know kind of on the side so you know it, and it just really I don't know I, I was just sitting there last night just listening to these songs that that you know I helped organize for the night and that I know in and out and they hit me just in a way where I realized just how timeless they are and right. how deep they are and just I tried to put myself in the mind of a person who was hearing all of it for the first time and you know it still holds so so profoundly for me yeah you know yeah so let's go back to getting this job right where you were in life <laughs> not just uh, professionally but personally and that I think that you know what I conversations I want to have are about life mm -hmm. and kind of the 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 things you have to give up and the things that you get, you know, in this business and mm -hmm. hard decisions and difficult things. So, you know, I think that this is coming along, this job is so amazing, but there were definitely a lot of difficult parts to it as well because of where you were in life, yeah. just in general. We're both now married to civilians, to real people. Muggles. Muggles, <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, that can add a lot of complication. It can. Um, yes. But, but you know, like, can you just take us back to mm -hmm. when you found out you got the job and where you were in life? Yeah. Well, it was, this process for me took like four or five months from the first audition to the contract. And, um, that's a long time. It is. And it was very early. Um, we started our first rehearsal November 2nd. I signed my contract like on Oh, well, I signed my contract in August, but I got the offer the second week in July. Wow. Um, which was kind of great because I basically like took the summer off. Right. Um, it was so early that I couldn't update my resume, but I didn't want to audition without it. But I right. didn't need to audition because I was leaving. Mm -hmm. And I figured, you know, anyone that wanted me on anything for the summer, um, we I would just be asked to you know, by yeah. composer friends to do this random thing or whatever. If something comes up, great. If not, you know, I know what my year's going to look like. So it, it really was, it really allowed me to kind of relax and have fun for a couple months right. uh, over the summer without the added pressure of that constant actor phobia of what's next. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, you know, it, I've, I've wanted to do this forever, like literally as long as I can remember. I think I was like two or three dancing around in tutus in front of a mirror for myself. Like, right. and then, you know, finally realized I could do it with more people and for more people and just <laughs> immediately was like, yes, put me up there. Um, and if you'd told me then that I had to wait till I was 31 to get my first major job, I think I would have been really scared. But if you had then told me it would be this, I would have said, great, I'll wait. Right. No problem. Um, and if you would have told me that I would have been married and all the other things that have happened to me, you know, between, let's say, 18 and this job, I, I would have been blown away. I, you know, I have no regrets. I, you know, when you're younger and you're leaving college, you think I need it right now. You know, everyone's doing this. Everyone's going to pass me by. All my friends are getting these jobs, you know, all these things. And I paid my dues in working with new writers and I'm you know a very fast musician so I became in demand really quickly at writers programs and 
a lot of that is volunteer work mm -hmm. <laughs> and a lot of it's just to make connections but um, it really made me feel like I was part of the community right. um, in New York City and that was great um, instead of you know some of my friends which booked non-equity tours or equity tours right away and left and I just kept thinking you know like that's great but I feel really lucky that I stayed and I'm meeting all these people that they're gonna come off the road and they don't know anybody Right. And I was just so happy with that. And um, you're making an investment, you know. I mean, yeah. I think that there, that a lot of people, especially just being out of school, want to pay their bills with their art, mm -hmm. and that that is great if you can do that. But it's not necessary. Your schooling isn't done. Like if you just got to New York, totally. you're still in school, you know. And part of that school is finding the side job that's going to help you continue your art and make the, do the work for free with the composers or with the director that you know is putting together a workshop or a reading that's all an investment that doesn't right. come into fruition for a really long time sometimes right and what it forced me to do at a certain point because of the nature of that investment was step back for a couple of years because i was broke completely broke yeah. um and didn't intend to take a break, but um, I took a salary job at Rockefeller Center, which was exciting because I had uh, temped there a little bit and met the people who I would later work for, and I knew how talented everyone there was. I love New York City. I've always loved New York City. Working for Rockefeller Center just felt relevant mm -hmm. and felt like, okay, if, if I have to make money doing something other than acting and I have to take a step back, this makes sense to me. And it was right when I'd started dating my civilian husband who mm. had a nine to five and a regular job. And that took priority as well. It kind of all happened at the same time. So I needed the paycheck and I wanted to keep the schedule because we were really getting to know each other at that time. Right. And I wonder, you know, things just would have progressed a little bit differently if I had been working nights at that time. So it all made sense. And I said to myself, I'm gonna keep auditioning. I'm not gonna take a break. Um, I just need to work around this, but I'm not prioritizing the job. I just need the paycheck right. and I can do two things at once. So I thought, you know, I can be a good assistant and kind of keep my acting under wraps because I'm still extremely serious about it. I don't need anyone at this job to know how dedicated I am to that because I don't want anyone to think I'm one foot out the door. I'm not. I want to be here, but I have to try to do two things at once. So like literally three and a half months into this salary job where I'm finally starting to put money back in my account, um, I booked a five week show out of town. And after going back and forth with my boss um, about what would happen if I left and came back, and he basically said, I, I absolutely don't want to stand in the way of you pursuing your dreams. I want you to do this if this is what you want. I just can't promise you your job will be here when you get back. And I just, I couldn't take the risk and I had to turn it down and it was the most heartbreaking thing that's ever happened to me. Mm. It, it was awful. And I said to myself, I never want to feel this way again. And so that kind of resolved me that, no, I'm not taking a break, but I have to only pursue things that I'm prepared to do 100%. Right. 
And, um, and I did do some, some, you know, projects on and off while I had that job, but I gave myself like two year max time frame. I need to put some money in the bank. You know, I'm happy pursuing my relationship right now, but I'm going to be, you know, two years older when I get out and I'll never get that time back. Right. Um, and I can't get that time back, but it line, you know, everything has this domino effect of one thing leads to the next leads to the next and really puts you where you need to be in the right place at the right time for whatever that is. Could and you have made, I mean, if you know, the Amy that just graduated from college was talking to the Amy who was making that decision, you know, especially with the job, you know, in that, in that time frame, do you think that that would have been possible or do you think, do you, do you think that it just took a lot of uh, maturity to get to a place where you were like, I need to put money in the bank, but this is the the boundaries of what I need and what I can't do because I think it ta- I think it takes a lot of maturity. You know, I think it takes a lot of maturity to understand uh, what you need to do to feed yourself and how yeah. important that is before your art. That your art is absolutely amazing and wonderful, but if you can't eat, you can't be an actor. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just know. couldn't go back to waiting tables at that point. I right. had been doing it for a couple of years and I needed a change. And before that, I was, I mean, I've had a lot of really hilarious, ridiculous jobs in New right. York. But before I was waiting tables, I was, um, I kind of, um, I worked at a children's wear showroom and I sold children's clothing to like luxury buyers. And that was really fun. I made my own hours, but that literally, that was during um, the crash. And, uh, luxury children's clothing looked a little bit different Mm. after that and so you know I wasn't able to work the same amount of hours anymore and with like all the respect for these women that I had in the world I had to leave the job um and they're still doing great and they're still incredible and you know I love I love that um I still see the clothing from that company um you know in Bloomingdale's and all over the place it's just it's fantastic it just I couldn't uh make it work anymore um and yeah, but I think that my now husband um, was the major curveball in that decision. I didn't ever, it's not that I didn't want to get married in my lifetime. I just, it wasn't something that I had pursued, I guess. Mm. I mean, I dated a lot, but um, I was always very. Um, well, you know what ambition feels like. You have ambition in your career, right? And your ambition and that was, was not in in getting married. You no, know, that I think was number that, one. Yeah, I think that for people like us or people in this industry, we know what ambition feels like. We know when we're passionate about something because we wouldn't still be here if we didn't have ambition or passion about yeah. something. So when you have something in your life that kind of just comes out of nowhere or is all of a sudden becomes this new, yeah, new love, you know, like if you really had to fight for it or not. And yeah, I think that really happened husband. right at the right time because I needed to, to plant myself. I needed right. that money. I needed that job. I didn't have, you know, a tour or Broadway gig or anything like that in the foreseeable future at that moment. And it just, it happened in just the exact right pocket of time that I needed it to happen. Isn't it funny though? Like I, I think that going back to when this happened, that you know, you got mo- married a month after I did. Um, like 
Like, yeah. Yeah, like weeks. Bare, yeah, like two weeks. Yeah, two or three weeks. <laughs> uh, you sang at our wedding and then got ready for yours. <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, in that just over a year, year and in, in two months, and, and how you say you made that decision to to be with your husband, you know, to be kind of grounded and mm-hmm. centered. And you made some other decisions like going back into into waiting tables. You took another risk and said, I've got to get better. We'll get into that. Yeah. But how amazing that, you know, that decision that you made about like I need to take care of uh, saving money, getting grounded, having this, letting yourself be open enough to have a relationship. Yeah. Within a year, you have this dream job. You know? Yeah, it, that is the one of the most insane parts is living in that moment of I booked this job and saying to myself a year and a half ago, I was sitting at a desk in Rockefeller Center, unmarried, not knowing what was going to happen. A right. year and a half. Right. I, I, I just think it's it's so important to talk to actors, young actors especially, that that laser beam ambition and focus that we have on what we want mm-hmm. our goal of being a performer is wonderful and important and it's it's a it's a gift mm-hmm. to be able to have a dream that is that important to you and to get gets you up out of bed every morning mm-hmm. but what is really great is when you give yourself permission to stray from that ambition a little bit to let your life be a little bit bigger than quote unquote, booking it mm-hmm. or getting some job to give you a definition of who you are, your your whole world just expands. And in, and in fact, that's what usually, for me at least, was when my career really opened up, mm-hmm. you know, into, into a new world because I was open to the universe in a mm-hmm. new world. I was open as a person and not holding on to every bit of, my career or the business yeah like I was squeezing a bunny to death you know right and on top of that it's like when you go to so many auditions and you know most of them don't work out and you get in your you the more you do this years and years and years and you really get in your head about you you put expectations on yourself and for me especially it was compounded by the fact that I had taken a step back Mm -hmm. and coming back in was really hard because on top of having been at that desk and then getting married, what I didn't realize was there were actually people who are close collaborators of mine from the past who thought that I left. Like, I didn't realize that they were like, where have you been? And I was like, I've been here. Right. Yeah. And um, I just haven't been on this block. I've been on that block. Yeah. But that's how how big each block is to to people and you really just every audition becomes humongous you're like okay this i I have to get back in i have to get back in it's like you know the wheels are spinning or you know it's like the jump rope is going and you need to like jump into the jump rope and whereas right when i started that job i had really built this great momentum up to the point where i had to turn down a job that i wanted but financially it didn't line up it's like you know it's it's so hard to make those two things mesh when you don't, you're not sitting on a mountain of money that you can just burn through. But um, I was going to say something else. Oh, that, you know, the more that you get in your head with those auditions, the harder it is to feel successful at auditioning. And, you know, I was talking to, um, right before I left for this tour, I had, I was working at a restaurant. And um, a lot of people at the restaurant that I worked at either were actors or were 
thinking about leaving or pursuing other options or, you know, I had a lot of conversations with people about it because I am 31 and, you know, a lot of people won't wait this long and should, should or shouldn't wait this long. And I was getting to a point in my head where I was going, how long is this going to be okay? How long is it going to be okay to sleep through an audition because I'm exhausted from working a double because I have to make money and, you know, and I have a husband who is not in theater and doesn't have to have his career in New York City and how long is this going to be okay? And for the first time, really, really started to take a hard look at what my life would be like if I tried to make art somewhere other than New York and tried to prepare myself for the day that I decided to walk away. And I was talking to someone at my restaurant about that and how I felt like, he, and he said, how do you feel like that affected your, um, your auditions or what? I think he just wanted to know how I felt my auditions for Bridges were different or if I felt like it was different. And I did feel like it was different. I just, every time I walked out of the room, it's very rare as an actor to just know that you're coming back. Mm -hmm. and, but I, every single time I walked out and I went, I know, I know I'm coming back. Right. And that's rare and incredible. But on top of that, I, I told him that I felt like where I had been in my head and knowing that if this didn't work out, I wasn't sure how much time I was going to continue to dedicate to failing at auditioning and right. failing at booking. Right. And I think that that was really important in my process because for me at that time in my life and for a lot of people, I think there's a part of you that doesn't want to give 100% in an audition because you know that it's probably not going to work out. And I think a lot of people, myself included, you need that 1%, 5%, 25% where you can say to yourself, I bet if I had done this better, I could have gotten it. I think you need to be able to say, I didn't leave it all on the table and they didn't reject 100% of me. Right. And I think that hinders me anyway. I think it gets you in your head in a really bad way. And in this process, I not only because I loved the material and all I wanted to do was go back in the room and sing more and sing more and sing more. Right. And just really live in the material regardless of what was going on at the table. Um, and that, that was major for me, and the confidence of being brought back was fantastic. But in addition to that, just in the back of my mind, knowing that like maybe this, I don't know if it's going to be bigger than this at this point if I don't book this job. Right. And being able to allow myself to give 100%, um, I think, made a difference in the work. Because right. for so many auditions that you go to, it's just like they don't know you and it, you have five seconds and you want to be able to save a little bit of your soul from another rejection. Right. Um, well, so you were just you were in a position where you could really just leave it all out on the table. Yeah. And feel like, you know, I, I, but I think that's what I'm getting it is that your life got bigger mm -hmm. than this business. You know, right. your life got more important than booking this job yeah and isn't it funny that that's what you know really kind of let you as yes. you say 
put it all out there and leave 100% of yourself. Yeah, you're because right. Because you weren't afraid to have the rejection or something from them because your life was bigger than that. Your right. life is your husband. Your life, you don't have that fear of if this doesn't work, then who am I? You right. know who you have, you're, you're bigger than that now. Right. You're, it's, I just, I, I think that so many people, I guess, and I shouldn't say so many people, me, I was very afraid in my early days of, of uh, this career of letting myself be open to relationships, other interests, and straying from the eye, keeping my eye on the prize. Mm -hmm. And it's just so funny to me that that is what really brings the prize to you, is being open to anything. Mm -hmm. um, so, so you're on stage now in this beautiful production, which I, I'm going back for a second time yeah. on Thursday. I love it so much. <laughs> um, what does it feel like to be on that stage? And especially because, you know, when I got the call for Book of Mormon, I was at the desk at my financial firm, um, BlackRock Financial. Yep. God bless them. Mm -hmm. they kept, for three years, I was in and out of BlackRock Financial as a temp. Mm -hmm. And I am so grateful for that desk. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful for that moment. Because like you said, you know, I don't know how I would have, responded to so many of the things that have been happening in my 30s if I if they had happened in my 20s but what does it feel like to be on that stage now like what what goes through it's your very head? surreal it, especially being able to look out and see Jason every day it's 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 so strange it's just surreal I mean and putting the concert together last night with a group of you know I'm gonna say this I, loosely but Jason's chosen people singing his music which has been just the lifeline of my life really right. as an actor and a musician right. it's unbelievably surreal um, and you know even though for a lot of the show my my personal part in the show even though I I understudy two other women in the show but me on stage every day I'm sitting in a chair a lot just kind of watching it but it still hits me as um, uh, that, that I am so extremely lucky to be living inside a show that I have loved since I heard the music the first time. And um, what's really extraordinary also about our cast, I have to say, is that um, everybody but like one person saw the show on Broadway, which is incredible. And the one person who didn't was on tour. So I'm, you know, probably would have if, you know, if she was in town. But I think it just really speaks to the heartbeat of the cast that that we all did see it because it only ran for a few months and right. it was and far before yeah. you know the tour was a, a thing that any of us were thinking about right um so it really is just like a, a just a perfect company of mm -hmm. people on this tour and I, I just it's very surreal and um yeah and you know getting just getting to look out and um and see jason in the pit and hear what they're creating down there which is unbelievable our yeah. musicians are unbelievable yeah you know, when I was younger, <laughs> my eye doctor, um, this is so random, but he was trying to put me in glasses or contacts. Um, I, I, I wear contacts now, but I have my prescription is super light. Um, but when I was 15 or 16, I think I got my first pair of glasses that I um, was supposed to wear for driving. 
And he was like, well, maybe you should try contacts. And he tried a pair on me, and I thought they were super uncomfortable. And I was, I was like, no, I don't, I don't think so. He's like, but you need to see your conductor, don't you? He's like, don't you want to see your conductor when you're singing on Broadway? Don't you have to see your conductor? And he kept saying that to me. And I don't know why I never forgot that. And when I got contacts, I was like, maybe now, you know, something big will happen because I have, like, I can see the conductor now. And it's unbelievable to me that, like, that stuck in my head. And now, as I'm on this job, I can see the conductor, and it's the person who I've wanted to work with my entire life. Yeah. Um, so it's that's pretty extraordinary. There's yeah. there's nothing about this job for me that isn't extraordinary. So yeah. I just feel very lucky. Oh, I mean, for me, I don't know if I've been as happy for myself as I was when I found out you got this job. <laughs> I mean, I was so happy I'm, and I'm continuing to be so thrilled because, you know, you see so many people work really hard in the city and in this business, but to see how hard you've worked, how, how, how you've persevered, how you have had such a adoration for the art, mm -hmm. You know, you are not bitter. You are absolutely in love with musical theater, with, mm -hmm. with everything about it. And I think that's such a beautiful, important thing, you know, to stay in love with the art that is challenging you on every level, you know, for a long time. Yeah. And you, on top of all that, are insanely talented. You know, you. just so, so, so good. Thank you. And I'm just so glad that this uh, this country is gonna get to see uh, <laughs> see that, um, and you know I hope it just blossoms into so much more of getting to hear you sing because you. I think last night hearing you sing things just got a little bit better from thirteen was oh lamest place what is it <laughs> it's called the lamest place in the world oh yeah. my god it's just uh, what, what <laughs> just we got a little bit better yes okay so I just did the th the story that you have about oh um, about and David loves I'm me I'm not afraid yeah. of everything. <laughs> That your friend called it, and David loves me. Yes. Hi, Jesse. <laughs> it wasn't me, but I guess now it could be. Um, I'll retitle yep. Jason Robert Brown. Just got a little bit better. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And to answer your question from before, when I found out I got this job, I was in the bathroom at the restaurant where I worked. That's awesome. <laughs> I was in, well, because um, I, I just left working at um, like an upscale kind of steakhouse-ish place, um, and... They were pretty, it was super corporate and we, they were pretty strict and there was a cell phone crackdown and we weren't <laughs> even supposed to have them on us. Cell and, phone crackdowns. Oh yeah. Very important. And, um, we weren't supposed to use the restroom that, um, the patrons used, the main one. They didn't want the wait staff using the regular bathroom, but, um, the bathroom in the kitchen was disgusting and there, we had a handicapped bathroom on the ground floor that was kind of used for storage so thank god they let us use the handicap bathroom and we would all keep it unlocked for each other so we could just sneak in there and use the bathroom slash be on our phones um during the shift sorry and um my manager um was in touch with me throughout this whole process and i have i was working a lot um, at the restaurant during this entire process so every time i got a call back and every, you know, every time he needed to speak to me, I was at work and he would call me and I would have to be like, oh, give me a second. And I would have to go in the handicapped bathroom and try and call him back. Or, um, <laughs> and he told, he had to tell me I got the offer over text because um, I couldn't get service in that exact moment, that horrible yeah. moment when you're like, he called, he has news. Right, he has the answer. He has news and I was months. freaking out and um, he just kept texting me, call me. 
and I, I couldn't get a signal oh my God. to get the phone out. And so finally he was like, I can't even believe I have to tell you this over text, but I will. <laughs> You're getting the offer and it's, you know, and it's this. And I walked out of the bathroom and my, my uh, friend uh, who got me that job, actually, he's a friend of mine from college, so we go way back. And he, it was amazing to go through this process kind of with him as my confidant at work since so much of this happened while I was at work. <laughs> and, you know, we just commiserated over the entire thing the whole time. And um, he was standing right there. So I walked out of the bathroom and I stood next to him and I was like, um, I just talked to Rich, I got to offer. And he was like, and I told him what the offer, I told him what it was and he started freaking out. He goes, you just found out right now? I go, yes. <laughs> he freaked out, he gave me a huge hug. And so that it was great to, to get to share it with a friend immediately. Um, yeah. Yep, I was in a I was in a bathroom, <laughs> and then I said, "All so right, poetic. cool. I'm gonna go serve some steaks to people and right. have a great day." So right. it was it was great. It was, it was very poetic. Yeah. Yep. Enjoy your steak, man. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for talking with me, and I think that it's really exciting that you're gonna get to go around the Texas country. Is next. Te- Hello, Texas. <laughs> Never um, been to Texas. There you go. Have a nice steak. A lonely Jew there. in Texas. <laughs> Have someone serve you a steak. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> hot off the farm or whatever. I don't know. Nice. Thank you. Thank you, Ari. Audition side job swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.